I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. for Oklahoma. Hey, Texas Tech this weekend, Halloween night in Lubbock. What could go wrong there? Uh, actually, quite quite a bit could go wrong. Welcome to the Sooner Nation podcast. I'm Matt Hofel along with Rich Cray, breaking down the Sooners and the Red Raiders, as well as the latest news and notes on Oklahoma football. Starting with recruiting, Rich, um, let's start with the bad news. And I don't know that it's bad news, but I mean, it's initially going to be accepted as bad news. But Caleb Johnson, the speedster athlete in the 2021 class is gone. He has decommitted. Um, he's got big time speed, could play either side of the ball. I think Oklahoma was looking at him as a defensive back. In fact, I'm confident Oklahoma was looking at him as a defensive back. Other schools looking at him as a speedster, wide receiver, offensive weapon. But regardless, he's gone, won't be playing for the University of Oklahoma. I don't think this is bad news. Do you think it's bad news? In the grand scheme of things, it's not. It's always difficult to look at a player and say you don't want them on the roster. But I do think you have to look at what's really transpiring south of the Red River. Currently, there are some coveted prospects who have decommitted from the Texas Longhorns. That has nothing to do with Caleb Johnson, but it's this slight different perspective or a glance in a different direction of saying that kids want to go where where they're where they're going to be successful. And I'm looking at this decommitment, now two decommitments from the University of Texas and, and looking at the way the landscape shapes up, knowing that some players want to play together on that next level and all of a sudden opportunity presents itself. I know that that exists. Again, not saying that's why Caleb Johnson is decommitting from the University of Oklahoma, but To answer your question in short, again, Matt, the grand scheme of things, it's not a huge deal. Sure, you hate to lose a commitment, the caliber of a a guy like Johnson who can play on both sides of the ball, but it's who who are you going to get to replace him now? And and that's where I think all the attention's going to start focusing on. Well, I I think there's already someone there to replace him because I don't think this is Caleb Johnson saying to the University of Oklahoma, yeah, I'm going to go somewhere else. I think this is the University of Oklahoma saying to Caleb Johnson, hey, buddy, uh, you need to look somewhere else. I I think this was a mutual agreement that the two parties had decided upon. When you look at his size, he's 5'10", doesn't match what Alex Grinch is is, is going for. Yeah, not on on the the defensive side of the ball, for sure. I see where you're going. And that's what he was. He was a defensive player for the University of Oklahoma. Now, you've got a guy like Billy Bowman who has decommitted from Texas. Thank you, because I could not remember his name to save my life. I figured that's where you were going with that. But, you know, Billy Bowman, I think they're going to use him on the offensive side of the ball. I don't don't think – I agree with you. I don't think that's the reason why Caleb Johnson's not coming to Oklahoma anymore. But I think there are things out there moving and grooving, so to speak – that they have found a better option than Caleb Johnson at the corner spot. And again, Alex Grinch wants his corners to be 
over six feet, and that doesn't describe Johnson. I'm not saying the kid doesn't have talent. He's below. I mean, he's a sub four four speed, but again, sub four four speed when you're trying to guard a six six receiver, it's not really helping you out very much. We can look at Brendan Radley Hiles for that example. How much of the Iowa State game is actually shaping your opinion on this situation? Because what we saw from that defensive secondary was exactly what you've painted for us in a picture. These taller receivers, I think the average height was 6'4", the receivers for Iowa State, and they completely abused the secondary, specifically those smaller defenders. You've thrown out Brendan Radley-Hiles, but we can throw the entire secondary out there because it didn't matter which direction they were throwing. It seemed as though there was a penalty, and it was clearly because of the height discrepancy. So again, how much of what you're saying currently, how much of the opinion that you're sharing is shaped by that Iowa State game, if any? Do you want me to be honest with you? Yeah. Dead honest? Yeah. Zero. Because my opinion was that was established before the Iowa State game. I mean, I look, you know, you don't you, if you waited to Iowa State to say Oklahoma needs to get bigger in the secondary, they need to get taller in the secondary, then you've been living under a rock. I mean, LSU <laughs> should have really that, that dude had like what, four or five touchdowns in the first half against Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh-huh. And again, we're talking about an NFL caliber talent. But you will, I mean, in the Big 12, offensively particularly, you're going to go up against NFL-caliber talent almost every weekend. So if you had to wait to the Iowa State game to, to finally have the light bulb go off that Oklahoma's got to get taller and bigger and faster in the secondary, then you really haven't been clicking very well with what's going on defensively with Oklahoma. So, no, the Iowa State game didn't have anything to do with it. It just it, it, it reiterates what everyone has been saying, including Alex Grinch, Got to get bigger guys. And Kenneth Johnson doesn't fit that mold. Can you go ahead and lie to me and said, I didn't, I didn't like your answer. I didn't know Oklahoma had a problem in the secondary. <laughs> look, 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 I'm totally teasing because one of the trends that we had noted in recruiting specifically from Alex Grinch on this defensive side of the ball was the willingness uh, more so than the willingness. It was this desire to increase size, specifically height, when it comes to this defensive secondary. And we saw that. We saw recruits start committing at the safety position who were well above six feet tall. We're talking six up to six four, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, the, the cornerbacks have not flowed in at the same rate that the safeties have. But I do think that's about to change since we're on the subject of recruiting and more specifically we're looking at that secondary i don't know if you saw this earlier today matt but four players all got together and i don't know who this is going towards but four players had tweeted the o Mm -hmm. out which signifies that that something's going to happen before the end of october spill the beans for us billy bowman that's all about billy bowman if you want my (laughs) opinion um billy bowman has billy bowman's about to make a commitment to the university of oklahoma there's two players are you sure I'm I look if I had to bet I would bet Bill, Billy Bowman or Tristan Lee is Billy what you're Bowman saying. yeah it, it, there's two players it's either mm. Tristan Lee or it's Billy Bowman and I'm it, my money would be on Billy Bowman now, I think Tristan Lee we were gonna get into that anyway he picked up two crystal ball predictions for the University of Oklahoma today which is October 29th on Thursday and one of those guys um this is why you should be excited about that because one of the guys who gave the crystal ball prediction for Tristan Lee is Steve uh, Wiltfong, who is the director of recruiting for 24-7 Sports. And that's one thing when a guy like Brandon Drum, again, not not dogging Brandon Drum's ability to cover the Sooners and recruiting, but 
when you see a guy like Brandon Drum or Joey Helmer or those guys who guys right, who are closer to the program. Yes, when you see them put out a crystal ball for a guy, you think, okay, they know something. Clearly, they know more than we know. They're good at what they do, but they're also quote OU insiders. You know, there's a little bit of homerism going on there, and that's okay with us. But when you see a guy like Steve Wilfong, who is the director of football recruiting for all of 24-7 sports, when he puts out a crystal ball prediction, you really pay attention to that. And here's the reason why. Do you know what his percentage is, Wilfong? I do, because I I actually read your article. Yeah. 98.36. 98.36. I, I say actually I mean, read it like I don't do that on a frequent basis. He's 98% of the time, he's been right. So that that's a big thing for him right. to give that crystal ball prediction. But I really think today's, uh, when you're seeing the 2021 recruits putting out there on Twitter today, I really think that has more to do with Billy Bowman than it does with Tristan Lee. I, but if you're an Oklahoma fan, you got to be excited because it looks like Bowman's a lock. I mean, he I, I would I would bet the farm on Bowman. And Lee is suddenly a heavy favorite right. to come to Oklahoma. So if you're following recruiting and you're looking for some good news, because it's been fairly quiet on the recruiting front, there's some big things happening. Don't forget, you know, we're moving into November and that's the final month before uh-huh. you, you can start, you know, you can start making your pledges and sign on the dotted line in December. So things I believe on the recruiting front will begin to pick up this, this last full month before the, uh, the early signing period begins. Uh, but yeah, Going all the way back to your initial question, I think today's news was all about Billy Bowman. That's good. I had no no preconceived ideas as to who it was regarding. I did believe that Tristan Lee was worthy of that conversation. But here's what I do believe, Matt, when it comes to recruiting, is that Oklahoma is still sitting on the verge of the floodgates opening. And we've been saying that for months. Mm-hmm. It may never come. But I feel as though there are a lot of names that have been tied not only to the University of Oklahoma with a 2021 class, but have also been tied specifically to Caleb Williams, who have yet to make any kind of a decision. We're not just looking at at Tristan Lee all of a sudden anymore. We're not just looking at potentially Billy Bowman committing before the end of October. But we're looking at, at guys that extend a little bit beyond that. A lot of them, yes, are defenders. I know that 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 Caleb Williams has really hit heavy on those guys, but it's also a, a guy like Emeka Agbuka. There are some names. Yeah, I think, listen, I, I think Emeka Agbuka's out. And, and I reason, don't disagree with you. The reason I say that is because Jaleel Farouk is in. Mm-hmm. And I think that's it. I, I mean, if you're going to get Billy Bowman, right. he's going to play on that side of the ball as well. So I think Agbuka, as much as I'd love to see him play in the Crimson and Cream, I don't think it's happening. Well, if he ends up going to Ohio State... Which I think is there's right. a possibility. No, I, I think that's where he, I think it's more I, than a possibility. I honestly believe the Ohio State class, and we're not talking about Ohio State on this podcast. I get that, but when we look at 2021 and we look at Quinn Ewers, 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 yeah, the number one quarterback in the 2021 class, they're they're setting themselves up for the future, potentially with a guy like Agbuka committing at the receiver position, and then Ewers coming in in, in 2022. But that's beside the point. Yeah, here's what uh, I can tell you about Oklahoma football recruiting at this point. It's going a lot better in Norman than it is in Texas, in Austin, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, Matt, I don't know if you saw this article, a little sidebar really quickly. There was an article released with stats, and I believe ESPN had compiled them, but someone else had written the article. It was diving in to the recruiting classes from 2016 
all the way up to today and saying which universities have done the least with the most amount of talent. Texas. And, and I, Texas, mean, I don't even need to read an article you don't, you don't, to but, know that. But I wanted to see, was Texas at the very bottom? Now, it didn't give me a complete ranking. Of course, it wanted me to click some other links that was a link back to ESPN. And I, I didn't do that, needless to say. But what I did see was that Texas was in the bottom five in developing talent. Five in some categories, third to last in other categories. That's insane to think about considering the names that have come through that university. Yeah, I mean, it is, but it's it's just... I mean, well, here's the, I'm going to sum it up for us. Can I? Can I, mean, I do that? Absolutely, go ahead. Because when you look at a, a recruit from Texas and they're weighing the University of Texas versus Oklahoma, it's almost a sure bet that they're going to pick Oklahoma. So when I see that Texas is struggling, it's no sweat off my back. But I mean, but you can look at a guy like uh, Sam Ellinger, for example. Okay, how much how much better is Sam Ellinger now than he was as a freshman? Not much. I mean, and, he was leading the nation in touchdown passes. When when is the, but the I mean, okay, if you played <laughs> UTIP every weekend, yeah, you get to do that. But when when's the last time? When's the last time Texas? And we've talked about this on the podcast. When's the last time Texas had a running back that just made you made you worry? You know, um, there there it's just the 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 development of talent has taken a nosedive. It was getting bad under Mac Brown. Right. But it got worse under Charlie Strong and even worse under Tom Herman. And listen, Texas fan, um, Urban Meyer is not going to fix your problem. Sorry. It's just not going to happen. Okay. We got to talk Oklahoma, Texas Tech, few other odds and ends. Um, Richard's asking the questions on true or false this week. Thanks for listening to the Sooner Nation podcast. Between the NFL, college football, and the World Series, there's no shortage of games or sports to watch on television. And... There are thousands of lines available on all of your favorite sports and events that you can turn your game day into a payday with my bookie. If you're the type of guy or girl who likes to sit back and look at the big favorites, consider putting a couple dollars on a parlay for a much bigger payout. Not only do parlays make meaningless games more exciting, but more importantly, they give you a chance to turn ordinary bets into a real moneymaker. And don't forget the underdogs. They have a ton of value as well. The NFL, here's the thing about that. The underdogs are never really dogs. On Sunday, every team, well, maybe except for the New York Jets, every team truly has a chance to win. And so do you. Game spreads, championship futures, and player prop bets. It's never too late to get in on the action and start turning your sports knowledge into actual cash. Sign up at MyBookie, and when you do, use our promo code OVERTIME to claim a deposit, and they'll match it dollar for dollar. All the way up to $1,000. It's a bonus that's designed to give you a little help and a head start on your winning season. That's the promo code OVERTIME, O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E, to claim your bonus when you make your first deposit. Stacked UFC cards, presidential prop bets. You can bet on the election. All the major sports and more. Sign up today and begin your winning season exclusively at MyBookie. Oklahoma with the evening kickoff against Texas Tech in Lubbock, night game, national television. That just make just those words right there makes Oklahoma fans cringe. Now, Rich, I know you're a youngster. Do you know why? Can you can you remember back long enough to know 
why going to Texas Tech, first of all, is a challenge as it is, but these night games, do you, I mean, you got any recollection in your, in your younger millennial I, years that you can throw some I, wisdom I have into this? One. All right, hit me with it. I do have one, and I couldn't even tell you the year. It would have had to have been somewhere between 2005 and 2010, I would say. And it, it was just a goal line, a red zone play more than it was a goal line play, but it was a red zone play extending the ball out and not, not quite making it, but falling short on the mm -hmm. one. Yep. You know exactly what I'm talking Torian about. Torian Henderson. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of, cause that was the 2005 game. So you're pretty spot on uh, with that. And that's also the game that uh, JD Runnels, you, you, I mean, a lot of Oklahoma fans remember the video, JD Runnels trying to do the post game interview and the Texas tech fan uh, behind him, heckling him and, and screaming. He was clearly inebriated, but um but uh, that was that was that game, um, and and what again? What makes for Oklahoma fans? What makes a game? And that wasn't a night game either. That was a day game. But what makes that so bad for Oklahoma fans is that that play went to review, right? And every Oklahoma fan says, "Look, his butt's down, right? Butt's down. Ball's not across the goal line." But butt goes down, and then he stretches out across the goal line, and the Big 12's like, "Oh yeah, that looks like a touchdown to us." So, um, and I'm pretty sure that's exactly what they sounded like when they said it. Um, <laughs> so there, there's one example. You got, you got anything else? You, what, in what, in what, recent memory, else, so everything else is more recent than that. I could. Let's, go to, let's go to 2007. Remember what happened in the 2007 game? No, I don't. 2007, Sam Bradford. Uh, I think it was the second, pretty sure it was the second offensive possession for Oklahoma. Sam Bradford gets concussed and has to leave the game. Joey Halsey comes in, throws for 291 yards, but Oklahoma um, loses that game 34-27. But here's what's crazy about it. Do you know how Sam Bradford got concussed? I don't. Alan Patrick, there's a name from the past, running uh -huh. back Alan Patrick, the other AP, fumbles the ball. And Bradford's trying to go in to recover the fumble and gets gets his egg scrambled, so to speak, and uh, he's done for the done for the game because he can't spell his name anymore. So <laughs> that, um, that, that's a little bit crazy for me. I I don't really recall that happening. Now I watched those games. I probably didn't watch them as religiously as I do now. I you know this about me. We're gonna once again share this secret. On the podcast, I, I didn't really start watching the University of Oklahoma play football until 2004-2005 season. I begin, these are post-2004-2005. Right, but I wouldn't say that I became a heavy follower of the program until about 2012. 2011 range, 2012. Yeah. Okay. So here's here's 2012 was a good year. Let me let me go back to 2009 because it's three consecutive trips to Lubbock. It was 2007. Excuse me. 2005. 2007. 2009. 2009 night game in Lubbock. Worst loss by Oklahoma in the history of this series. That was uh, the year Sam Bradford gets hurt in the season opener against who? BYU. BYU. Okay, so you're with down me a in bit. Arlington. Yeah. So Sam Bradford gets hurt in the yeah, season opener. Here's how. Here's how I remember that one because we banned people from going live to games after that moment. You banned people from? Yeah, we banned them. Like who? So like, my my brother ended about. up going with a girl he was dating at the time in their family, and so we basically banned their family. That was the first game they had ever attended. Actually, I think it was the second one, and the first one they attended was the TCU home opener. So, so we we banned okay. them 
from ever attending a game in person again. Now, our word really has no say, but we felt like we had all the power in that moment. It's just like that commercial, you know? So it was what you're saying is your brother had a girlfriend and they took her to this game and the same Bradford. Well, her family took him to the game, but yes. Oh, her family, girlfriend's family took your brother to the game. And it was the second one they were attending. And so they didn't, they went to the season opener 2005 against TCU and, and lost. And then they went to 2009 season opener in Arlington Correct. against BYU and lost. Correct. And you're saying no mas after that. Correct. And now was it your brother or are you just your brother going with his family? With that girl's family. So did your brother, did that relationship survive? No. Oh, okay. I'm just curious. Uh, 2009, worst loss in the history of this series for the Sooners. Now, 2012 was when Oklahoma actually broke this streak. It was a three-game a three game losing streak in Lubbock. So you lose 2005, 2007, 2009. And then, if you remember at the Big 12, when, they, when, when there was the exodus of, of Missouri and Nebraska and Texas A&M, Oklahoma actually ended up getting back-to-back home games against Texas Tech and Norman, 2010, 2011. So 2012 was when Oklahoma went to Lubbock and broke the losing streak by winning that game 41 to 20. And here's what's great about that. Oklahoma hasn't lost in Lubbock since then, but because you have that, that three game stigma, uh, you know, stigma over, over the course of six years, that's where it gets this name of being like kind of the, the twilight zone, crazy things happen there. And, <laughs> and we're already seeing it happen because well, who's supposed to be back this week. Who's supposed to be on the field for Oklahoma. Like, are be, you you asking me the, of the suspended players? Yeah, the suspended players are supposed okay, to be back, okay. right? Because it, according to NCAA guidelines, right, it's a it's a half games, uh, half a season suspension. So we're at six games. You count the Peach Bowl. You count five games this season. Six games. So Lincoln Riley is supposed to have the services of Trajan Bridges and Ramondre Stevenson and Ronnie Perkins, right? They're supposed to be there. But guess what? As of now, there's no word that they will be there. It's so much so that Lincoln Riley, and you you don't see him do this very much, but Lincoln Riley really kind of went to the podium and and expressed some concern and frustration towards the NCAA over this situation. And I, I liked one of the things he said is like, you know, we're supposed to have open-ended communication about this. And clearly, and then this is me saying, adding on to that, because Lincoln Ryan said, we're supposed to have open-ended communication about this. Clearly it's not. Clearly there has not been open-ended communication between the University of Oklahoma and the NCAA. And I think frustration is reaching a boiling point because here you are, you know, you're Thursday before your game on the road and you don't know. You you just don't know if these guys are going to play or not. And, and, Regardless of the suspension being right or wrong, this is not right. The way they're being treated at this point, having already missed six games, it, it's not right. It's not right. And unfortunately, I don't feel as though there's anything that anybody can do. It's really out of the university's hands. It's somewhat still in the players' hands because I do believe that there are a set list of things that need to be completed in order to rule them eligible after being ruled ineligible for the specific purpose Mm -hmm. that they were suspended for. Needless to say, I do have to agree in saying that when we look at this situation, it's not been handled in the best manner. It's because it's been handled by the NCAA. And to ask questions and to demand answers is something that all Oklahoma fans, whether you're on the coaching staff, whether you're a player, whether you're a casual fan, or you're an, an uh, 
rabid fan, if you will, should be asking those questions because the, the suspension has been served. Right. And so let's assume from this point forward, let's just assume for the rest of this podcast, as we're talking about Oklahoma and Texas Tech, that Oklahoma won't have those three guys. So let's assume when we're talking about Oklahoma running the ball, we're talking about TJ Pledger and Seth McGowan. And we're talking about Oklahoma needing to make plays happen downfield in the passing game. Let's assume we're talking about Marvin Mims and and we're talking about Austin Stogner and some of those other guys. So that's, that's just for the sake of conversation, we're going to say, you know what? Not going to have those guys. I think you start with Marvin Mims and, and I, I, I'm, I'm going to separate him from the rest of the conversation about this game, just because we're really, and we talked about it a little bit in the post game podcast for Oklahoma and TCU, just the elite company that he's in having broken Ryan Broyles and city lambs freshman touchdown record through the first five games of the season, currently standing at six touchdowns on the season. I mean, this is a kid that you, you have to, you have to look at him now and say, yeah, he's pretty special. Marvin Mims definitely burst onto the scene. I think in that first game with a couple of touchdowns, specifically that first one, I think it put him on the map Mm -hmm. as a guy who was going to challenge any opponent, any defense downfield up the seam. It didn't really matter. You saw this flash of greatness. All of a sudden, Marvin Mims has been backing up that initial flash in the pan that we saw. I went ahead and pulled up the stats, Matt. Because I was curious where Marvin Mims sits as a freshman, as a receiver at the University of Oklahoma. Currently, he's ranked number five in conference, and that's just in yards per game. Mm -hmm. It's nothing to, I guess, write home about when you're only averaging about 65 yards per game. But when we begin to look at the touchdowns, that's where I think Marvin Mims has had the greatest impact on this team. Because when he gets in, when Oklahoma in general gets near the end zone, Marvin Mims seems to find a way. Or if it's these long, big plays that we've so, so desired this year out of this team, Marvin Mims has been that answer for this Oklahoma offense. Six touchdowns, which leads the conference, by the way, and he's only tied with one other player who is Joshua Moore from the University of Texas. When we begin to look at what he's doing on the field, when we begin to look at how young he is, when we begin to look at the records that he set at Texas, it's easy to say that this guy is the real deal, and he's playing not like a freshman, but more like an upperclassman. Well, he's filling the role that that we really thought Charleston Rambo would fill. He's filling the role that we thought right. some of those other guys, you know, um, you know, would feel that that are a year or two or three ahead of him. And even an Austin Stogner guy that he, I called him out before the TCU game as being the guy that Oklahoma had to use to to take advantage of, of downfield shots. And and Marvin Mim has exceeded all of those expectations. To really, you, you look at it and you think. He's the top guy. When when you when you think about receivers and pass catchers for this football team, I mean I, I mean I, I think anybody would answer this question this way. Games on the line. Spencer Rattler has one guy to throw to. You get to look at the roster and you pick who is it going to be. There, I, I think I think there's two names. No, I well okay. <laughs> I mean, but is Marvin Mims not going to be the top guy? 
No, he is. He's certainly going to be in the conversation. You, he's I, certainly going to be a guy that you mention, regardless if you chose him mm-hmm. or not. He's a guy that you had mentioned. The other guy I continuously think about is Austin Stogner, but because of the track record, and you and right, I had this conversation absolutely. last week, because of the track record and the inability to hang on to the pass, when you get bumped in the back coming across the middle or even across the back of the end zone, it, it is Marvin Mims for me, hands down. Yeah. Austin Stogner has the potential. He just has to earn it again. And, and Stogner and Mims tied on the team with 19 receptions each. Um, but yeah, again, we talked about the six touchdowns from Mims. Stogner scored his first touchdown against Texas, um, but 17.3 yards per reception. This is the guy that is stretching the field for the University of Oklahoma, and he needs to. Rem- I mean, he needs to remain that guy. Now, now you're going to have to slip in under other guys underneath him, because Mims is going to be the guy that draws those safeties deep, and then you're gonna you got to keep going to Stogner. When you have a receiver who's talented and drops the ball like Stogner does, it, it's like a basketball. How how do you get a shooter out of a slump in basketball? Tell him to keep shooting, right? <laughs> Wait, is this an Austin Reeves situation no, that you're no, telling me? Well, it could, it could very well be. I mean, Austin Stogner, well, Austin Reeves. The preseason lists were starting to be released right, for Oklahoma, I saw that. so I had to throw it out right. there. Right, but but the point is, the I point is, Oklahoma, Big 12, when, excuse me. Whenever whenever you're looking at a basketball player who's in a shooting slump, you tell him to keep shooting, and whenever you got a receiver who has an issue holding onto the ball, you got to keep throwing it to him. And and so I would expect him to continue to look for Austin uh, Stogner. I almost said Austin Reeves there. I would continue to look for them, to have them look for Austin Stogner, uh, Theo Weiss, those guys underneath, um, and and let Marvin Mims be the guy who stretches the field deep. Hey, I, I want to jump over to Twitter, by the way. We're always welcome to hear your responses, questions, comments, thoughts, suggestions on Twitter. At uh, Sports Heartland is where you can find us on Twitter. But Nick Hines says uh, this about the um, – about the suspensions. He says, I know we don't know the updated stuff on the three suspended players. Here's the question though. In your opinion, what's the likelihood Perkin decides just to go get ready for the NFL? Are you asking me that this question Nick now? Is You're asking posing both, it to me? Yeah. He's asking both of us that question. I'll let you shoot. I have an opinion there, but I'll let you shoot first. Yeah. It's not something that has not crossed my mind. You look at some of the issues that we've just talked about with a ruling from the NCAA and why these players haven't played, you're more than halfway through the season at this point in time, and you're looking at what kind of an impact can a player like? Everyone wants to talk about Ronnie Perkins, and understandably why. He's the guy who has the most to gain or the most to lose by playing this season, but he also has the biggest impact. If he were to return of the three players, in my opinion, he has the biggest impact. So here's what I'm going to say. It's crossed my mind. I understand that thought, that thought process. Looking at some of the other guys who I believe are doing the exact same thing, it's to avoid injury. Mm-hmm. If you believe that you've got enough on tape, and I don't know that Ronnie Perkins is is there for me yet, but if you've got enough on tape, I say if that's what you want to do, more power to you. I get that college is really just that stepping stone. It's a requirement if you want to play at the NFL level. But while that situation applies to Kennedy Brooks for me, again, I'm not ready to go there with a Ronnie Perkins. I'd like to see him show a little more dominance, show that he can be a pass rusher, and show that he can beat some of these weaker Big 12 offensive lines this year, get around him, sack the quarterback, and then make a name for himself in the NFL. That's yeah. not just wishful or, or selfish thinking either. Mm-hmm. 
No, and I agree because I just don't think there's enough film out on Ronnie Perkins. I, I, is Ronnie Perkins an NFL talent? Yes. But it doesn't make sense that if you're not a first or second round grade, it doesn't make sense to hold out to prepare for the NFL, in my opinion. I don't think Ronnie Perkins is a first or second round grade. I, I think he's a, a fourth, fifth round grade right now. And that's just because everything about Ronnie Perkins at this point is based on potential. He has the potential to be the best defensive lineman in the Big 12. He has the potential to be a first or second round draft pick. He has the potential to be All-American, but he hasn't done those things yet. And so if you're an NFL exec, you see this guy and you see potential, but you haven't seen it played. You've seen flashes, but you haven't seen it play out over the course of a season. And so to step away and say, hey, I'm going to take my lumps as a fifth, sixth round draft pick, fourth round draft pick, somewhere around there. And and I'm going to take my lumps and I'm going to work my way into a big contract for my mm-hmm. second NFL contract. It worked out great for Tony Jefferson. It worked out great for Kenny Steele's guys who were not high, high first or second round draft picks. You know, Tony Jefferson went undrafted and right. had a pretty good career in the NFL. But I just, to me, it's, it's, it's someone's giving him bad advice if that's the way he's going with it. I don't think he's going that direction. Last thing I want to add to this conversation is I do believe if I'm a decision maker in the NFL, when it comes to the NFL draft, I want to know how you handle adversity. And so I'm watching Ronnie Perkins every move. We haven't gotten an answer from that yet because there's clearly a guy who's taken over that starting role. There's clearly a guy who's producing and his name is Isaiah Thomas. When Ronnie Perkins steps back onto the field, I don't doubt that he would be a starter. But what does he look like? In what shape is he in? How is he going to, again, handle the adversity of not playing, of having to watch someone mm-hmm. else contribute to this team on the defensive side of the ball before he can actually step in and once again contribute? Just my take. It's a good one. All right, here we go. Uh, true or false coming up. Richard's asking the questions. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back to the Sooner Nation podcast. It is that moment where I get to put Matt in the hot seat. I know it's his favorite seat to be in. I know it makes him nervous every, I shouldn't say every week, but every other week. This is, I believe, Matt, the first time where I'm asking true or false questions of you on a game week. No, I think I have one this season. I think I have one out of five. Okay. One out of five. So the odds are pretty slim for me. (laughs) We're going to kick it off. Here's my first question for you. And it's something that we've kind of alluded to on the podcast already as the visiting team, Oklahoma heading to Lubbock. I don't know if, if Texas tech is going to wear the all blacks once again, wouldn't surprise me if they did, but as a road team in the big 12 conference, true or false Lubbock is the worst place to play at night. Hmm. Yeah, I think going back to what we just I mean, there's just a stigma there with Oklahoma fans that you think, mm-hmm. oh, love it, you know, and then you I mean, go back to Twitter. And when this game was announced as a night kickoff, look at the response from 
Sooner Nation, like, no, you know, not that. I, I remember one guy that I follow on Twitter, a friend of mine, um, that just said, this, this is the one game we wanted as an 11 a.m. kickoff, you know. So um, I, I would say Stillwater's kind of rough at night as well, but definitely going to go with a, go with a true there that for me, uh, Lubbock, Texas, worst place to play on the road at night is definite. Number two, then I did want to jump into the game, even though we have yet to get to our preview segment of this. What we've seen really is a change in mentality for Oklahoma as they approach the game on the offensive side of the ball. It's becoming more and more run dominant. I don't know what this game is going to look like. I don't know how it's going to shape up. I don't really even have a score prediction, even though we typically give those at the You're end to have of the podcast. I know. I, I kind of think of them as we we debate on okay. the offense versus defense and defense versus the offense. But but here's what I want to throw out to you, Matt. I said we've had this shift mentality-wise, mm-hmm. offensive schematics, where Oklahoma has begun to rely a little more heavily on that run game. And I think right. it's specifically because of TJ Pledger and some of the success that Oklahoma has experienced with him carrying the ball. Heading into this weekend, heading into Lubbock, heading into the game against Texas Tech, true or false, Oklahoma will continue to rely heavily on the rushing attack. No, I think that's absolutely true. In fact, I, we have a post-up uh, article about it this week on Heartland Sports, heartland-sports.com, shameless plug. Um, with that with that, that very thing, when, when you and we talked about it post-game TCU, when you look at how effective a run game makes the passing game, they're in a good groove. When you And it all started in the third quarter of the Texas game when they just said, hey, we're going to run the ball down your throats to this Longhorn defense, and that's what they did. And we saw more improved Spencer Rattler, and then they took that as their game plan into Fort Worth last weekend, and it was uh, five out of six plays on the opening drive were running plays, including a 12-yard touchdown by TJ Pledger. And and we, in the post, I, I mean, again, we always want people to come to our website, but if you go to the website and you look at the post, what we do is we take uh, just a still frame uh, of the of the TJ Pledger touchdown run, and you can see where the safeties are and how they're playing. They're clearly playing the pass, um, and so we take the still frame and then the play, and then we look at a still frame from the long the the second Marvin Mims touchdown. You look at the still frame of how those safeties are playing, and suddenly they're playing to stop the run, and it leaves Marvin Mims in one-on-one coverage, which leads to that that long touchdown in the third quarter. Um, and all that takes place because you're effective in the run game, and you're about to play a Texas Tech defense that's not great at all. And they're giving up a lot of yards. They're giving up a lot of yards in the air, and they're giving up a lot of yards on the ground. But when when you look at Texas Tech, the, the numbers are a bit skewed. They're 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 allowing almost 150 yards per game on the ground, and the reason they're doing that is because they're giving up almost 340 yards per game in the air. So they're susceptible both ways. But when you can, and I've always said this, when you can run the football effectively, it opens up your entire playbook to you. And because of that, because they have found a groove, yes, absolutely true. They're going to continue to focus on the running game. One more thing real fast, and stuff we've already talked about, but it, it, it makes the point here. Last two games for the University of Oklahoma, the Texas game and the TCU game, 100 rushing attempts. 55 against Texas, 45 against TCU. I'm going to flip signs of the ball on you. We're going to look at the defense, and more specifically, we're going to look at an individual 
player. A few weeks ago, I had asked you this specific question saying, true or false, there are no elite playmakers on the defensive side of the ball. I've slowly, and I said this last week, is that I'm slowly changing my opinion on that because all of a sudden we have this defensive front seven that has proven to be one of the best in the country. As we begin to look again, specifically at the defensive line and specifically at Jordan Kelly. Now I know there's not a lot to go on. There's not a huge sample size for Jordan Kelly, but what we're beginning to see is a guy who's gaining confidence. We're also beginning to see a guy who knows that he has the ability to make plays and then is going out and doing that. There's one place specifically that everybody will highlight from the TCU game, and that was where he dropped the ball carrier in the backfield Mm -hmm. for a seven-yard loss. Jordan Kelly, true or false, is probably the most overlooked player on this defense right now. Uh, I'm going to go false with that. I mean, I I, I like Jordan Kelly. Um, He's a young guy, redshirt sophomore, I believe. So there's still a lot of of room for him to grow uh, into the – not not physically, but grow with the X's and O's of the game. There there's potential there, but I, I mean I would I would go before with Jordan Kelly. I would go with a guy like David Uguebu, who's not even a starter, but yet it was a Big 12 Special Teams Player of the Week for the Texas game, and he gets a lot of credit for the for the block punt, but also I think he recorded six tackles in that game. Um, so I would go with a guy like uh, like David Uguebu, and and even. Um, I think before Jordan Kelly, I'd go with a guy like Leron Stokes as well, who all, all of when, when you look at the interior of the defensive line, where was all of the conversation about? It was all about Perrin Winfrey and Josh Ellison. And, and they're both of those guys that have so far, in my opinion, lived up to the hype as the number one and number two Juco defensive tackles in the country last year. But Leron Stokes is in there with him as well. Now he's a senior. This is kind of his final campaign until next year when he gets another final campaign because of COVID. But, um, no, I look. I, I I appreciate what you're saying. It's a good question. Jordan <laughs> Kelly is still a youngster, but um, I'll be honest with you. I I um I think I would even take Corey Robertson over him at this point. And um and so, but my answer to that is going to be false because I, I would look at a guy again like David Aguebu or um or Laron Stokes before before Kelly. One of the things that we're seeing, I'm, I'm going to stick with the defensive side of the ball, is I think we're finally seeing what has been termed this Grinch effect. I think we're finally seeing that take over. Here's the numbers for you, Matt. Number eight nationally in third down defense of teams who have played more than one game. So I've gone in and I have removed those teams that have only played, looking at the Big Ten, who have only played one game, Oklahoma, number 15 in sacks. Again, these are nationally, and they're number seven in run defense. Again, that's teams that have played more than one game. Was this true or false? This was the expectation of this defense when Alex Grinch was hired. This was the the end result that everybody was looking for. No, I, I mean I'm gonna say again I'm gonna say false. I think they're getting towards the end result. Um, I, I think you got to shore up the secondary. The front seven we've talked about it. We've talked about it at length what they're doing, what they're doing against the run. You mentioned third down. I think I think what we're seeing is progress, which as an Oklahoma fan it should be encouraging. Now you're always gonna have that guy. He's the same guy who on social media when you say hey Tristan Lee, he's he's trending towards Oklahoma. Looks like the Sooners might get a five-star offensive tackle. And that guy's like, well, does he play defense? Because if he doesn't play defense, we don't want him right now. You know, there's there's always going to be that guy out there who sees 
a busted play, and he's like, fire him, just get rid of him, start it over, you know, Grinch is a bust, you know, and again, that's what they sound like in my head when they talk, okay? When I read those those, those tweets, or I look at that on Facebook, <laughs> that's the voice I read it in. Um, but I, I don't think we're there yet. I, I think when, when we talk about the, the Grinch defense, we, you're right. We, we talked about, you know, third down conversion rate. We thought we talked about lowering the, the points allowed per game. We talked about defending the run. But what do we talk about? Turnovers. We turnovers talked about getting turnovers. Yes. And we're not there yet. And, and you're not going to get, in my opinion, not going to get there until you start replacing the personnel on the field. And we're, again, Alex Grinch, I think there needs to be a pause here because he didn't get this. He just has in 2020 his first full recruiting class. He didn't get to recruit in 2019. You know, he arrived right before signing day. They signed, and and Lincoln Riley did most of the defensive recruiting that year. So Alex Grinch is here, but he's got one recruiting cycle under his belt. So I I think we're we're seeing progress. Definitely, you can't look at this defense and not say they're making progress. But I don't think that they have the quote speed defense Alex Grinch build type of expectation yet, and we're not going to see that until we start seeing turnovers. I like what you say about Alex Grinch only having the one recruiting cycle under his belt, because I often think that that is something that is easily overlooked due to his time at the university or with the university. You believe that it is more than that, mm-hmm. but reality sets in and you're 100% right. So I'm going to kind of piggyback this. When we begin to look, I, I get the progress on the defensive side of the ball. I think we're seeing some progress on the offensive side of the ball. Every game that Oklahoma plays from here on out will potentially eliminate them from the Big 12 championship conversation. So my question, last one, true or false, Oklahoma will play in the Big 12 championship this year. Dude, there's still five, five I games know, left I on the know. schedule. But based upon what we've seen, based upon what we know about each of these teams, you can look at some and say, that should be a win, that should be a win. I don't know about that one. I don't know about this but one. But it's not it's not the it's not just the wins that makes this hard. It's the it's the losses that you need to see happen to the teams that play in Manhattan and the teams that play in Ames. Uh, Oklahoma State Oklahoma State winning that game last weekend against Iowa State really the best the best scenario now for Oklahoma in my opinion is that you get into a four-way tie with with two losses. You see what I'm saying? So if uh, Iowa State needs losses, Kansas State needs losses, Oklahoma State needs losses, and Oklahoma has to win out. And so if you can get into a this this logjam of teams in the Big 12 that have two losses, there's all kinds of crazy tie-breaking scenarios in there. And so you need Oklahoma State now to beat Kansas State, but to lose maybe lose to Texas this weekend, and then Oklahoma to win out. And then uh, in, involved in that is beating Oklahoma State. So you have, I mean, it is such a crazy scenario. And and I I think if if Iowa State would have won last weekend in Stillwater, Oklahoma's more firmly in the driver's seat. Then they're less in the driver's seat now than they were a week ago this time, because you you got to beat Oklahoma State for the second loss, and and you you know you got to end. You don't get to play Iowa State anymore. You don't get to play Kansas State anymore. And so that that hurts their chances. So at this point, based off of five weeks of football with five still remaining, I'm going to have to say false. They're not going to play. 
because they still they need more help now than they did a week ago uh, because Oklahoma State beat Iowa State. Now, so wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Well, I'm going to say now that that said, the next five weeks are going to determine across the board. You, you got injuries. Again, you got this crazy tiebreaker scenario if all these teams only have two losses. Um, I, I mean, there, there's that'd be a fun post idea. I'll, I'll let you have it. How do Oklahoma fans need to cheer this weekend? <laughs> you know, uh, because remember, you don't have to be in first place. You just have to be second place. But you had a much better chance of getting there had Iowa State won last week instead of Oklahoma State. Are you coming onto the side of the fence that says, I want a Big 12 program to appear in the college no. football playoff? I would more- rather, no, okay. I would rather okay. OU. I, I don't. I don't understand. And I've even talked to people since we had that conversation and they all tell me you're whack. I would rather have Oklahoma win the big 12 championship than a team. Wait, wait, wait. They tell me that my, I'm whack or you're whack. You're whack because they're like me. I'll take a big 12 championship over somebody else going and getting blown out by Clemson. Um, So yeah. And I I think hit us up Twitter. You listen to this podcast, jump out of your phone, go on Twitter at sports heartland. Would you rather have Oklahoma win a Big 12 championship or would you rather have some other school from the Big 12 make the college football playoff? I don't see how an Oklahoma fan could say the second thing. I think you want a Big 12 championship if you're a Sooner fan. Just because I think it's less likely it's going to happen doesn't mean I I don't want it. Okay. I had to ask because of the previous conversation. I had to. Okay. X's and O's, Jimmy's and Joe's, Oklahoma, Texas Tech. Let's break that down. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Oklahoma back in the top 25 this week. The Sooners ranked number 24 going on the road to play Texas Tech in Lubbock. The Sooners averaging 39.8 points per game. Texas Tech averaging 32.2 points per game. Oklahoma defense makes a difference. 26.8 points per game and what the Sooners are averaging. Texas Tech giving up 37 points per game. Just in case you're bad with math, Texas Tech is giving up more points on average than they are scoring. That is not a recipe for winning football. The Sooners 3-2 and two overall, 2-2 two and two in conference. Texas Tech 2-3 and three on the season, 1-3 in conference game. Oklahoma with 501 total yards of offense per game. Texas Tech giving up 486, almost 87 yards of offense per game. Now, the Red Raiders are coming off of a big win over West Virginia last weekend. The Sooners are coming off of back-to-back wins over Texas and TCU. Texas Tech's win over West Virginia snapped a three-game losing streak for the Red Raiders. Let's start on the offensive side of the ball, Rich. We, we've already talked about this uh, in the true or false section about running the football. I, I don't change – if I'm Lincoln Riley – I don't change my game plan from TCU last week. I say, you got film. You saw what we do. You you saw how we do it. Try to stop it. And I'm looking at how those safeties are on the opening drive. Where are the safeties? Are they 10 yards back? Are they five yards back? And based on where those safeties are playing, that's how I'm running my offense. I don't change anything. I completely agree 
One, because we saw the amount of success that Oklahoma had from the quarterback position when they decided to put a majority of the responsibility on the offensive line, as well as a secondary, the the um, running backs there. When you look at Texas Tech and you look at where they fall, just in conference terms, I mean, they're giving up 149 yards on the ground to different ball carriers from across this this league. Oklahoma, I don't know, has the best running back in the conference, but they certainly have some that are capable. Mm-hmm. And when you look at what Oklahoma is bringing, especially if a guy, and I know you've been huge on him, Matt, if Ramondre Stevenson plays, that, to me, you have this three-headed monster in the backfield, and then you have to account for a, a mobile quarterback. That's That's a recipe for disaster for Texas Tech. So I agree. I think that you run the ball and you run the ball consistently. You run it early and you you just basically take those four, five yards per carry that I think Oklahoma can average given what they've shown me these past two weeks. Yeah, I'm looking at uh, Texas Tech's schedule. The fewest points that they have given up this season was 31. That was, and they did it twice. They they gave up 31 points to Iowa State, 31 points to Kansas State. Both of those games were losses. This is a team that gave up 33 points to Houston Baptist, 63 points to the Texas Longhorns, and 34 points last week to West Virginia. Oklahoma again. You run the ball, you win the game. I I, I think you look at the at the running game. T.J. Pledger, 100 yards uh, plus game against Texas. T.J. Pledger, 100 yard plus game against TCU. If TJ Pledger eclipses the the century mark, then then you win this game. Is that true or false? I'm, I get to ask you, true or false? TJ Pledger gets 100 yards, you win. <laughs> I, I have to go with a yes at this point in time because it likely means that Oklahoma has eclipsed that 140-yard mark that Texas Tech has set through the first half of the season on the ground defensively. When you begin to look at the recipe for success, it lies in those numbers to mm-hmm. me. Now, they're actually, when we're talking about the numbers and the breakdown of this game, do you know that there actually is a magic number for Oklahoma's offense in this game? There is a magic there's number that there's no, there's a magic number that the Sooners have to score. There's a certain set. You got to be above this number. Do you know what it is? 31. You're really, really close. You want a second guess? 28. In the middle of 28 and 31. One more guess. 30. 30. 30 is the magic number. I'm like, there's two numbers there, no, Matt. Listen, and since uh, this is actual statistical fact for you, okay? When Oklahoma scores 30 or more points, they're 8 and 0 in Lubbock. So playing Texas Tech in Lubbock, if you score 30 or more, 8 and 0. If you you want to guess what their record is, at less than 30? 0 oh and 3. 0 oh and 4. So 30 is the magic number. You get to 30, you win the game. 100 yard rusher, you win the game. I, I mean, you you hate to break it down to those simple mathematical formulas, but I think that's what it is. I, look, you're, you're gonna the defense is gonna have a bigger a bigger struggle, I think, than the offense. And and I'm I'm hey, look I'm Lincoln Riley. I'm saying guys. We're just going to add to what we did last week. We're going to do some different wrinkles and how we run the football, but we're going to run the football first and we're going to watch those safeties. And that's what it comes down to. You get, if you can get your offensive line into that second level, if those guards can get into the second level of the Texas tech defense, there should be some gaping hose, hose holes. Look out. We just lost our PG rating. Um, you can, there should be some gaping holes for TJ Pledger and, 
Ramondre Stevenson, if he plays, or Seth McGowan to, to run through, this is, this is a game where, again, you run the ball to pass the ball. And when you have those chances downfield, you take advantage of them. Now, I do say this. I think it'll be a different guy than Marvin Mims. Remember earlier we were talking about you run Marvin Mims deep? I think this is a game where you run Marvin Mims deep and then you bring someone on a post, a skinny post across underneath him, still in one-on-one coverage, be it Austin Stogner or be it, you know, somebody else in that trade. And I'll start to say Trajan Bridges. He's probably not going to play, but Theo Weiss or where's Theo Howard been? You know, some of those other guys, someone's going to come underneath Marvin Mims, I think, this week and really cause some struggles for those safeties. If I put the over under on rushing touchdowns at one, do you believe Oklahoma goes over? Over, over. yeah. I would I would put the over under honestly at two. I think I would put it at two, and then you gotta you gotta make a decision. But no, hundred. I would bet money on the on it being over on one. I'm asking because Oklahoma has only has only scored more than once on the ground in one game this season. Well, it'll be two games after Saturday. <laughs> oh, okay, you heard it here you first. It. <laughs> All right, give me a guy that you're watching for on the Oklahoma offense. You can't say Spencer Rattler. No, 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 and I wasn't going to. Okay. With all the, the talk that we've had, I think much of the defense for Texas Tech will attempt to limit what T.J. Pledger's strengths are, which is why I think a, a secondary option, whoever that might be, is who I would key in on as a guy who could potentially have a big game. If I had to pick... One of those. I, I'm not going to pick Ramondre Stevenson, Matt. That's the. I wouldn't. I wouldn't encourage you to do no, that. I'm, either. I'm sorry. I just can't do that. So whoever the backup is going to be, it could be Marcus Major, Seth McGowan. It Seth could McGowan's, be Seth McGowan. Yeah. It, it could be. Like I said, there Here, are names that are available. Let's do this. Let's go to the. We did this last week. It was kind of fun. Let's go to the official depth chart for the game. And it's the exact same. It's T.J. Pledger. Perfect. And then you got Marcus Major or huh? Ramondre Stevenson. And oh. then Seth McGowan at number four. Gotcha. <laughs> so that means <laughs> based funny. off of based off the TCU game, it's going to be TJ Pleasure, and then Seth McGowan. Right. I'm going to go ahead and go with Seth McGowan then. So again, it's not that I I think that TJ Pleasure won't have a good game. I'm just looking at what what Texas Tech is going to do from the linebacker position what they're capable of doing. They had a, a handful of transfers come in and they're doing this by committee and they're doing it exceptionally well. Mm-hmm. If there's one bright spot of the defense for me, it's that linebacker position. And I'm going to say this is that I think Seth McGowan has a better chance of escaping them than a TJ Pledger does. So you're going with Seth McGowan as your guy. To watch. I, I'm going with Seth McGowan. Yeah. And, and it's just for the real reason that I think he can contribute and, the way he bursts through the line, that explosiveness that we've seen, I think he can eat up yardage a little bit quicker than what we're going to see from TJ Pledger. Well, also, don't forget uh, him as a passing threat out of the backfield. Right. You know, that's something else to keep in mind. I saw a big what that 43 yard one, big one last week. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the receiver. I'm gonna go with the pass catcher, and I'm 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 kicking myself, literally kicking myself right now as I say this. I'm going with Austin Stogner again. Marvin Mims. I've already said you're running deep. And you throw underneath him. And I think Austin Stogner is going to have the chance. And I'm not watching him as a guy who's going to have, quote, the big game. I'm watching him as to see where is he mentally? Can he catch the ball? Because here's the tape on Austin Stogner. You don't put two guys on him. You put one guy really tight on him. 
and you mess with him, you scream at him, you slap him, you know, you you do you do you jump, you know, you contest the ball, and even though he's a mismatch, you do all those other things. Right now, the tape says he's going to drop it. So I'm going to watch Austin Stogner. Can he come back from that? I'm going to say a bad game in Fort Worth last weekend against TCU, and I dare you to prove me wrong on that. He, I'm watching him this week, not as the guy who's going to be the big, big playmaker, but as the guy who could be the big, big playmaker if he catches the ball. He could have been the leading receiver last week if he catches the ball, but he didn't, and he wasn't. So what can he do this week? So that, that's who I'm watching. Any any parting shots on the offense before we flip sides? Mm. I will say this, Matt, because I think it goes hand in hand with what we're talking about. I do expect Oklahoma to be successful as they have been for the entirety of the season. Mm-hmm. We've seen obviously some collapses, the inability to score there late in the game. But what has really been the Achilles heel of this Oklahoma offense, in my opinion, has been the number of turnovers that they've simply been unable to recover from. So I am going to expect them to once again, because they're running the ball and this was what we have discussed through and through now, but because Oklahoma is running the ball more consistently, those turnovers stay to zero, hopefully, but at worst case scenario, it would be one. And that that is something that I do think is overcomable for an offense of this caliber and for an offense that continues to grow, kind of spread its wings under Lincoln Riley's tutelage. Needless to say, got to limit those turnovers. I, I think that goes without saying each and every time, we sit down and discuss the offense, but you've got to limit those turnovers on the offensive side of the ball. Six quarters in a row now, uh, Oklahoma without a turnover. Hopefully we're at 10 by the end of this game. On the defensive side of the ball, it, I'm, I'm a little bit intrigued here because there's been a change at quarterback. They've gone with uh, Henry Columbia, and what, you get a little bit more consistency out of him. Um, only... Only one interception on the season as opposed to four that Alan Bowman had thrown. But you also get some indecisiveness in as much as Columbia's been sacked five times this season. And I don't I don't one start. I don't see this guy as being a big running threat. So I go back to what we always talk about, the, the defensive line. You know what I said last week, because you had a guy who w- was a running threat in Max Duggan. So your defensive ends, they have to contain. This is a game where your defensive ends can crash. And so I and, and Yasha are playing a better running back this week than you what play what you played last week. So on the Maybe. I, I think so. I, I, I think Sir Roderick Thompson, now whether they'll feed him the ball, I don't know. But when I look at the play on the field, he's a better running back. No, no, no. You said they'll they'll face a running back that's better. Right. But Sir Roderick Thompson was injured against West Virginia. Oh, this is news that I missed out on. They were missing, I, I believe it was seven contributors, main contributors, including TJ Vasher, in that How game against West Virginia. How long has that guy been in college? I don't know, man. I don't know. Man, I'm going to go look these up All right, while um, we're talking about it. Anyway, but but the point is, the point that doesn't change what I'm saying is that you crash with your defensive ends in this game. And when you crash with your defensive end, then what happens is now you want your quarterback stepping up in the pocket um, you know, are moving in. Anyway, I, I just, I, I think you bring pressure on this kid. I, I think that's where you start um, with the defensive game plan is just by bringing pressure. And, and we know uh, West Virginia, those Steels guys, those brothers, they're, they're, they're the real deal on the West Virginia defensive line. But I, I don't think we're talking about chopped liver here with Oklahoma's defensive linemen. So to me, you start by pressuring Columbia. I, I'm not going to differentiate 
myself from your game plan. One, because you look at a quarterback who's young, who's inexperienced. This is not Alan Bowman. And I don't think you nor I would have sat here tonight and said that last week, Bowman, a guy who is that caliber of a quarterback, who has the arm strength to throw the ball all over the field, would be benched in favor of someone else. Given the number of years that he's been with the program, given his command of the offense, it was something that was unfathomable. But here we sit and we are living up to um, are living inside of what's taken place, what what the consequences have been of the the poorer performances from Bowman. If you can get a guy in there who's successful but inexperienced, by all means, I think you have to as an offensive coordinator, but I do think it lends a hand to Oklahoma. One of the things that I had just mentioned, Matt, was the number of sacks that Oklahoma has piled up this year, ranks them number 15 in the country. It's not as if this is a slouch team without Jalen Redmond, and I feel like I mention those two names every week. Mm-hmm. Without Jalen Redmond, without Ronnie Perkins, Oklahoma's no slouch in getting into the backfield. They've mixed up their looks. They've used some of the linebackers, Nick Benito being one of those who has caused chaos in the backfield for these quarterbacks. I expect Oklahoma to continue with that game plan to mix up their looks, but limit the responsibilities of those defensive ends. Hopefully that leads to some level of success that we saw against Texas, that we saw against Texas last year, as well as Oklahoma piles up the the number of tackles for loss or sacks in this game specifically. So I looked it up real fast while you were talking, Matt Wells, uh, the top two running backs, Sir Roderick Thompson and Xavier White, both expected to play, according to Matt Wells. He said hopeful <laughs> that he hopes that they're going to have him right. back. But again, that, that brings up a whole, I don't think it changes your game plan. I think no, it makes no, your no, game plan stronger because when you look at the third leading rusher for Texas Tech, you know who it is? I don't. Henry Columbia. If that name sounds familiar, that's the guy we just talked about uh, at the uh, at the quarterback position. Twenty five rushes on the season, which is just three behind uh, Xavier White. But again, I, I don't think you change what you do. I think you you crash your defensive ends, you funnel him out the middle, and you let Deshaun White or Nick Benito or somebody else there clean him up. Um, the back end, though, there there are some receivers, um, and I'm. I, I I hate to try to pronounce names because you know I'm bad at it, but uh, so we're just gonna say uh, Eric. I'm gonna try it one time. You got it? Can you do it? No, I don't even know what you're looking uh, at. The the receiver for for we we talked about him in our preseason rankings. Eric Izukanma. Izukanma. You say it really fast. Eric Izukanma. And it sounds it sounds like Nailed he just it. rose right off the tongue. Um, this guy can stretch the field. Thirteen point seven reception, uh, averaging thirteen point seven yards per reception on the season. And then Kashawn Carter with four touchdowns leads this team. And then there is the T.J. Vasher aspect of it. This guy has been in college since the day you were born, Rich. Um, but he's third on the team with just fourteen receptions. <laughs> you mentioned the injury issue there, but there are some guys here that I believe are going to stretch what Oklahoma can do defensively because of their size. And, and, you know, he's a comma, uh, is six, three. So there you, you see automatically, you see, Oh, there, there's a, there's a matchup that's going to be not favorable to somebody, but then you get down to Kashawn Carter and he's a five eleven guy. So you, I think you bracket one in the back end and you go one-on-one with the other. And this is a guy that I'm based off of all the hype and based off of what what we were sold on number 44, Buki should be able to cover these these guys. 
His, not, his, not, not he's a Kanama, whatever, but the other or one. TJ Vasher. Yeah. Well, not, well, TJ Vasher's 6'6. I mean, right. he, he's, he's a big, like, he, he's, 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 he's a matchup issue. He's a tight issue. end playing wide right. receiver. He's a matchup issue, but, but Carter is 5'11. You should be able to cover him. When I look at this, this Texas Tech offense, Matt, the one thing that sticks out to me is something I said about Oklahoma, even previously on this podcast, is the inability or the lack of big plays, I think is a better way to label that. You just haven't seen them from this offense. I don't know if they've been out of sync. I don't know if there have been issues with players not being available. I do know that they gave their report on coronavirus and that three players had tested positive from the previous week and that there are still three active cases as of Monday. What's that going to do in terms of limiting this team and where are those players going to be missing from what void will need to be filled? I don't know if that's defensive. I don't know if that's offensive, but what I've begun to notice trend wise for this Texas tech offense is those lack that lack of big plays. Mm -hmm. And I think that helps this Oklahoma secondary because time and time again, when an opponent has needed it, they've challenged the secondary and come up with large chunks of yards in order to get back into these games. Because correct me if I'm wrong here, in all of the games that Oklahoma has played, they've held at least a 14 point lead. Right? No, you're, you're, you're correct on that. In each and every game, We've seen, except the TCU game and except the Missouri State game, but were three three games where these teams were let back into it. Texas Tech, I, I do believe that they're capable. They clearly have one of the better running backs in the conference. You've mentioned it. I'm going to piggyback that and say, I don't know how often they're going to give him the ball, but there are opportunities to be successful against this Oklahoma defense. Will Texas Tech make the most of those moments? And will we see those big plays happen once again? So for Oklahoma defensively, it's going to be about limiting the big plays. It's going to be about rattling a young first-time starter, second game that he'll be starting this season for Texas Tech and Columbia that we've mentioned previously. If you can do those two things, if you can, I don't know why I need to feel the need to keep saying them, but if you can limit that big play, I think there's reasonable chance that Oklahoma can limit this offense to that, that 14 points like we saw last week. Yeah. Um, I don't, I would, I, I don't think I can get on board with him limiting Texas tech to, to 14 points. This is, this offense is too good. I, I think they can, I think they can outscore Texas tech. We've talked about the problems on defense, but I, I there's just this receiving core is a lot better. I, we talked about the running back. If Sir Roderick Thompson is healthy, the running back is better. The receiving core is definitely better than what they faced last week in Fort Worth. And so there's going to be, you know, we talked about Vasher. I mean, it's a six-six guy. He's going to make plays. There, there's two of your three primary receivers are over six feet tall. And we know what that means for an Oklahoma defense. So how do you combat that? You've got to combat it up front with the front seven. You've got to crash in on the quarterback. You've got to have the quarterback scrambling. You've got to take away his second and third reads and try to make him get rid of the ball fast. So you can do those things to try to help the back end of your defense. But I do, I do fully expect, fully expect there to be moments in this game where we're kind of scratching our heads or screaming at the TV because of some of the plays we see 
on the back end of Oklahoma's defense. This is a game where I would expect some of those younger guys to come back in. We talked about Joshua Eaton not having a lot of run last week against TCU. But again, you need a tall guy who can run with a receiver. I see this being that type of situation where he gets back in and has some run here because they are going to challenge Oklahoma. They're going to challenge them vertically. And the best thing you can do, in my opinion, if you're Oklahoma, the best thing you can do is get up early, get that 14-point lead, because you don't want them to go to Sir Roderick Thompson on the regular. You want them kind of scrapping that initial game plan and moving towards the pass where you have the opportunity to get a turnover. You have the opportunity to produce a quarterback sack and put them behind the change chains, which gives you the best opportunity to to really make some plays happen. Let's talk about players on the defensive side of the ball that we're going to be keying in on this week. For me, it starts in the middle of that um, of that defensive line, and and I'm looking at Perrin Winfrey because if I'm crashing my defensive ends, that means there's going to be a lot of garbage there for Perrin Winfrey to, to clean up, be it a running back coming at him or being a quarterback stepping up in the pocket. This sets up for him to have a potentially big game. So that's who I start off with on, on players to watch defensively. I'm going to go one level back on you. Look at the linebackers. And as tempted as I am to pick a guy like Deshaun White, I'm going to go a different direction and go ahead and say it, the the name Nick Benito. We talked about the ability to get into the backfield from the linebacker position using Nick Benito in different looks, in different um, situations. Ultimately, I think he he has the potential to play a major role in this game and to have a large impact. But not only that, I think he's a guy who can also or has shown through five games, at least, that he has the speed if they need him to drop in coverage. He's not an absolute liability on the defensive side of the ball at that position. Again, Potential there to have a huge game for a guy like Nick Benito, or at least have the one of the biggest impacts of any name on the defensive side of the ball that doesn't directly relate to just tackles. Okay, well, let's jump around the Big 12 real fast before we close this out with our score predictions on Oklahoma and Texas Tech. Starting with the early games, Iowa State at Kansas. The Cyclones almost a 29-point favorite, 28.5. Over-under on this game is 52. Every week, I think, I think every week Kansas is going to fight. They're going to fight this week, but I think I'm giving up on this Kansas squad, which means this will be the weekend that they actually put someone to the test. But this is a <laughs> this is bad football, man. This this is an FS1 game. I don't think anybody outside of Ames, Iowa, I don't even think people in Lawrence, Kansas are going to tune in for this game. Um, I think the Cyclones, after dropping last week in Stillwater, they get back on the on the winning uh, winning horse. Clearly, four and one in conference play after this game. The, the question is, how much do they beat Kansas State by? And I, I can't. The twenty and a half points. I, I can't say Kansas State will cover that. I thought they would last week. I mean, Kansas. I thought they would last week against Kansas State, and they didn't. So this is going to be bad for Kansas. All bad. When I look at Kansas. Sorry, I'm gonna say one more thing. I know you when you look at Kansas, but here's my Brees Hall, Big Twelve. Offensive player of the week, calling it right now. When I look at Kansas, one thing comes to mind, and it's exactly what happened at Baylor when Matt Rule took over as the head coach. There were some issues that needed to be corrected. There was a culture that needed to be changed. Les Miles, I don't know if he's that kind of a coach, but given the the way that this season has gone, if you'll remember with me, Matt, Baylor was at the bottom of the conference. Mm-hmm. And the very next year, because of that culture shift, because of preaching physicality, 
Baylor was all of a sudden in the Big 12 championship game and was competing with Oklahoma, not once, but twice, in what we expected to be a very lackluster team from Baylor, even though they had talent on the offensive side of the ball in a guy like Brewer, as well as at the receiver position. Kansas, they may be on a similar trajectory. We won't know until next year, but we may very well sit here and do exactly what you're doing, which is shaking your head and saying, can it get worse? I don't think it can't get worse. I mean, Kansas is staring right in the face of 0-10 this season. Yes, they are. So I don't think it can get worse, but here's the difference between that Baylor situation and what Les Miles has. Matt Rule had some talent, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. I don't see talent and I don't see depth. But no one knew that until Matt Rule showed up. Well, we know right now that there's no talent in Lawrence. Uh, let's move on to saying in, uh, same with the Sunflower State. We're going to Kansas State, though. Number 16 team in the country. Oklahoma fans need the Wildcats to lose a game. Traveling to Morgantown, West Virginia to play the Mountaineers. Kansas State is an underdog in this game. The Mountaineers, three and a half point favorites. Give me your take here, Rich. I'm a little bit shocked by that. The three points is home field advantage. So ultimately we're saying that West Virginia is a half a point better than Kansas state. And West Virginia has not shown that to me. West Virginia. I get when we look at them, we look at that defensive line. We look at the impact that they can have specifically on a quarterback, but we also know that they should be able to limit a guy like Deuce Vaughn coming out of the backfield. The question is, can they score enough points to keep up with what we've seen out of Kansas state at this point in time. And I, I have to answer that with a resounding no Kansas state quote unquote, will pull off the upset here. I, I see. I'm going to just, well, I think Kansas state wins, but I think this game to me, I've got this marked as the most entertaining game in the big 12 this weekend. And, and I think it stays close. I think it's a one point win for either side. Uh, so, so field goal win maybe tops the, the three and a half point favorites uh, that West Virginia is now. If the Mountaineers win this game, I don't think they win it by three and a half. So we, you got to win by four to cover that. But drink know, the Kool-Aid. Drink the Kool-Aid. But, no, here's the reason why. Because what's the strength of Kansas State? It's it's the it's running their physicality. Game. And what's the strength of the West Virginia <laughs> defense, which is that defensive front? You know, we've talked about with, with those two brothers, the Steels brothers up there. Um, and then we you go back, Jared Daigie is turning into a pretty good quarterback in Morgantown. And then you got Winston Wright, the receiver. I, I think I, I think there's a better than average chance that that West Virginia scores points and keeps this game close. I think this game goes well into the fourth quarter and could even be one of those games that the blast team with the ball wins. I think this is going to be a fun game. And, uh, uh, clearly, the 11 a.m. games in the Big 12, I'm tuning into this one. Okay. Right, I, I know Kansas State pretty good at the safety position. No questions there for me. I think they're physical up front. I think they can compete. I think they can make things happen. West Virginia only playmakers, elite playmakers up front. I don't see that on the back end. And so if you can throw on West Virginia, which I get Skylar Thompson's not available, but if you can throw on West Virginia and you can complete passes, that's why I, I, got I've a got a quarterback. Though. I've got to give him the win. You've also got a freshman running back. Who's apparently pretty good. Yeah, that I, that is true. All right. Afternoon games, TCU at your Baylor bears, the frogs, two and a half point favorites over under on this game is 48. Let me tell you right now, uh, take the over. Um, 
I've got Baylor winning this game, Rich. I I, I can't see enough out of TCU. I, I don't understand why they're favored. Uh, th- this is a team that's anemic offensively, struggles to give up uh, by giving up big plays. Every game they give up big plays. I, I think if I'm Texas, if I'm a Texas fan, I'm looking at this because their one win on the season is Texas. They're sitting at one and three on the season with that one win over Texas. And I'm thinking, how did my team lose to TCU? I, I don't – wrong team's favored here. Baylor um, Baylor wins this game, and uh, TCU is kind of stuck in the mud here, in my opinion. I'm going to agree with you on that one. I don't think Baylor's really found who they are. I don't think they've solidified their identity, but I do think they get the win. All right, the big game in the Big 12 involves Oklahoma State, the number six team in the country, hosting Texas in Stillwater. Should be partly cloudy, 65 degrees at kickoff. Cowboys are only a three and a half point favorites in this game, over under 58 and a half. Who you got, Rich? I, I am going to go with Oklahoma State. They are the home team in this one, and they are the more talented team. I do believe that they're better coached as well. Given those three areas, I, I've got to take Oklahoma State. But the one part that does concern me is what we've seen out of Spencer Sanders so far is that he's still continuing to turn the ball over at an alarming rate. He's been an accurate passer nonetheless, but one touchdown to two interceptions given a limited playing amount or a limited sample size, limited playing time for him because of that injury. I just have to wonder what happens when they do start to turn the ball over or will they limit those? Yeah, the, the Oklahoma State's in unfamiliar territory here because they're in the driver's seat, not just for the Big 12, but they're in the driver's seat for the college football playoff. And this is a big game for them. Three and a half points is is probably right around the spread here. How will they handle the pressure of being, you know, their their battle cry has always been, you know, the underdog. The battle cry has always been the second best team in the state of Oklahoma. The battle cry has always been, we don't get the respect we deserve. Well, you're sitting at number six in the country. And like I said, you're in the driver's seat that made the college football playoff. How can you handle that? Some teams come out in that situation and they fall flat on their face. Other teams rise to the occasion. I think Oklahoma State will be somewhere right in the middle of that. I don't think they're going to fully rise to the occasion and dominate a Texas team that they should dominate. But I don't think they're going to fall on their face either. I think this is going to be a close game. Uh, but I think in the end, Oklahoma State wins somewhere around 31-28. Uh, with a field goal, I, I just I, I think there's going to be some struggles here. But at, at the end of the day, you you pegged it. This is Texas, right? This is a Tom Herman coach team, and they're having uh, another terrible week coming off. You know, they they win at Baylor, and then pretty much their entire 2021 recruiting class decides to go somewhere else. So how are they handling that distraction? What does that tell you about Tom Herman that the recruiting class is leaving on them? There there are things behind the scenes going on with Texas as well. And the only way to remedy that is to win. So I think Oklahoma State's going to get a good test from Texas. But again, I, I think there's too many playmakers uh, in the orange and black and not enough playmakers in the burnt orange. Here we go. Final game, Oklahoma, Texas Tech, 7 o'clock kickoff. We've talked about it. Fox Television, soon as 14.5 point favorites over under 68 in this game. What do you got, Rich? Given everything that we've discussed at this point in the podcast, Matt, I am going to give Oklahoma the win. I do believe Oklahoma eclipses that 30-point mark, the magic number, so to speak. I'm giving Oklahoma 35, but I'm only giving Texas Tech 17. Oh, wow. You're well, you're doing way better. You got more more trust in the defense than I do. I do think this, is, this uh, over-under is right on spot with 68. I've got Oklahoma winning 
38 to 30 and Texas Tech with a late score to get it within the the cover on the 14 and a half points. So there it is. We'll have more coverage pregame, postgame at heartland-sports.com. You can always find us on the internet at that website address, on Twitter at Sports Heartland, as well as we'll even take your emails, heartland underscore sports at yahoo.com. Enjoy the game, everybody. We'll be back to talk about it over the weekend. Boomer Sooner. <laughs> 